Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Today's episode is Wrestling Against Spiritual Forces. Ephesians 6.12 tells us our struggle is not really against other humans, but against spiritual forces. Learn how malignant powers influence people both directly through demon possession and indirectly through the culture. Hopefully this message will open your eyes to what is happening behind the scenes as Satan works to keep people from believing the gospel message as well as take out those who already follow Christ. At the end, I offer seven specific examples of how the devil gains a foothold in our lives. Even so, through the power of God, we are able to shut down these vulnerabilities and overcome spiritual attacks. Please be seated. What I want to look at with you is, is a couple of verses there. Ephesians 6.11 says... Or we'll start in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so what I want to do is talk to you about the schemes of the devil... You see that in, at the end of verse 11? Uh, we, we need to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So part of what I want to do is expose to you some of what those schemes are and then look at this, this next whole part about um, wrestling against, not against flesh and blood, but against these spiritual forces, right? So the, the, main, the main focus of what I want to say is to wrestle against spiritual forces, and so, I mean, I wrestled in high school. Anybody here wrestle? I know we have a Winfield somewhere in the room, right? Um, and, you know, wrestling's tough, right? Because they always match you against somebody that's roughly your same size, you know, or at least your same weight. So it's not like you ever get to go against some little person that you could just throw around the room like when I wrestle with my kids. You're always wrestling somebody that's just about as strong as you are, just about as tall as, or as heavy as you are. And so... And it's not like any of us are pros, you know what I mean? We're all in high school and, and we're doing what we can with what we got, you know, but it's a really hard thing and you have three periods, two minutes each, and that is the toughest six minutes of your life, if anybody's ever wrestled. I mean, it's amazing how short it is <laughs> and, you just, and you're in peak physical condition and still at the end of that six minutes, you're just like a wet noodle on the ground afterwards, you know? And that's what wrestling is. And they, you know, they had wrestling in the culture, in the time when Ephesians was written, in Ephesus even, uh, it was common to have wrestling. And so people knew about wrestling, that it is this serious contest, is difficult. And that's the word that we're looking at here. It's a struggle. It's a wrestle against spiritual forces. And so it's not going to be easy, but we have kind of like a tag team advantage that we can, that we can look to. And, uh, of course, that's Jesus. But really what I want to do is, is look at three things with you uh, in the spiritual realm. I want to look at the direct influence, and uh, I don't want to linger there too long because last night we heard about that. That's when you encounter 
a demon-possessed person directly, or you encounter Satan directly. Satan is not everywhere, all the time, all at the same time like God is. You know, Satan is, is more limited than God is. Uh, there's no scripture that tells us that he can be everywhere at once. But he has cronies, right? He has all these demons and, and uh, whoever knows exactly how, how all that works. But we know it's there and we know that it's a, an expansive terrorist network, right? And so uh, there are times when you will encounter a direct demonic situation. And some of us have and there, and there could be stories in this room. And then most of the time, though, we're encountering a civilization, a culture, a society that is permeated by indirect influences, okay? And those are tricky because they're not obvious. And so I want to I look at some of that with you and then give you some specific examples of indirect influence that we find in the Scriptures, specific warnings that are immediately relevant to your life, okay? So that's, that's what I plan to do this morning with you. And so the first thing up is uh, to look at this direct influence. Uh, can you turn with me to Luke chapter 4? Luke chapter 4, verse 31. Uh, when, when Jesus was on earth in his ministry, he encountered demons on a regular basis. If Jesus came to town, it's like a demon would pop up and a Pharisee. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know why those two, but uh, um, and, and you know he'd be talking, he'd be preaching, and somebody would just flip out in the middle of the crowd and start carrying on a conversation like they both know what's going on, and everyone else is like, "So do you guys know each other, or is this just this?" Jesus is like, "This is normal. It's fine. Be quiet and uh, move on from there." And so that's what happens in Luke four thirty one. It says, "And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee." And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I should, I should work on my demon voice. That wasn't very good. But, you know, it probably sounded freaky like that incredible impersonation we heard last night. You know, I mean, it was... It, at the very least, we could say it was very disturbing, right? Jesus is trying to teach in a synagogue. He's teaching with authority. And this person just erupts like, what do you have to do with us? It's like, there's only one of you. you know, what are you talking about? And so what does Jesus do in this situation? He, uh, he, he decides to go into another room, he fasts, he prays, he studies the Scriptures, he gets a whole group together, they all start dancing in a circle around the guy, right? And, they, and, they, and they, they have smoke signals, and they burn incense, and then they use a phrase that they repeat over and over and over and over. No, that's not what happened. What, what happened? Look at that, verse 35, but Jesus rebuked him saying, this is what he said, shut up, right? be silent, and come out of him. That's all he said. That's it. Be silent and come out of him. And then look what happens. And when, G when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. So Jesus says, be silent and come out of him. The man flops on the ground. The demon comes out, and everyone's just like, this is not your typical service. <laughs> verse, 
Verse 36, and they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? What is this message? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. That's the pecking order we looked at last night, right? Jesus has the authority as God's anointed one to command even spiritual forces, and they ha- we, you see it right here, they have to obey. You saw it last night with the, the garrison wacko, right? He just said, go. Go. That was it. So this is what I want to say to you about this first point here on direct influence, the spiritual warfare. If you encounter a direct influence, right? It's at once, it's, it's at once a little scary, I understand that. But it's simple. It's simple. It's not complicated. You don't have to think hard about it. You don't have to reason it all out. It's just a matter of taking authority. That's all it is if you encounter a direct situation like that. Uh, we have the example of the 72. Could you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2? The, uh, the 72 that Jesus sent out, it says that um, when they came back, the 72, this isn't just Jesus anymore, it's the 72. They said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So that tells me it's not just Jesus that has authority over direct demonic situations, right? And then there's this record in uh, Acts where Paul is preaching in Ephesus and there's this fortune teller girl who's possessed with a spirit of divination and she keeps following them around, crying out. And it says, I don't even know if there's another place that says this, he was greatly annoyed. That's what it says. Because she kept doing it over and over. And this is the exact words that Paul said to her. He said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. This is not a long, complicated situation. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. It came out. You know what I mean? It's just a matter of taking authority. It's, it's, the, it's the more um, exciting part of the spiritual warfare, right? Encountering some sort of direct situation like that. But it's simple. Because it's not based on us. It's based on His authority. And so, let's, let's move on to look at the indirect influence. And I want to spend a little more time here. Ephesians chapter 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses, in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. You know, about Satan, it says, Jesus called him the ruler of this world. Paul called him the God of this age. John called him the deceiver of the whole world. Right? So, we're not dealing with a situation that's just limited to a few individual spirits here and there scattered around, or maybe thousands, who knows. We're dealing with a systemic um, force that's pervading not just even our culture here in the Northeast. I mean, it's pervading the United States. It's pervading other countries. It says, look at it again. Jesus called him the ruler of what? Yeah, of this world. That's the word cosmos. It's not even this age. It's talking about the planet. Like Somehow or other, Satan has authority over this planet. Paul calls him the God of this age. Is Satan a God? Well, not like the Father, who is the one true God, right? But Satan is a God in the sense that he wields a certain level of power beyond normal human beings, right? And he has authority over this age. And then he's the deceiver of the whole world. You know, we read these scriptures and then we think to ourselves, ah, 
That's just the world. I'm fine. He's not going to deceive me. I'm one of God's people. I, I can't be... I know what's up. Well, sometimes we can get tricked, right? Look back at that verse 2 again, Ephesians 2.2, 2, in which you once walked. This is the default for everyone. We follow the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This tells us that our default as human beings is to dance to the drumbeat of the devil. That's our default. That's if we, that's if we keep control of our own, our own lives do what we think we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, that delusion is really following the course of this world, the course of this influence, because the way we figure out things is based on what's around us, right? We, we, we hear things from our parents, we hear things from our friends, we hear things from different places, right? And the default of this age is in opposition to God. And so if we just do what comes naturally to us, we follow the course of this age. Carry out the desires of the body and the mind. Our desires themselves are twisted. Right? Uh, we recently did a, a 5K, and uh, we did it to benefit uh, a, a charity. And the charity said, do you want to do a check presentation? I'm like, well, I've never been asked that question before. You know? Uh, do you know what a check presentation is? You've seen it on TV, right? Where they have, they have, they have a fake check that they spend probably 50 bucks at Staples to make, right? This huge rectangle. And you know why the check is so big? So people can see it on TV, right? Because a real check is like this big, right? And so if you handed over a real check, nobody would see how much it was for. And who was the one that was, you know, and it's just like, it's just the standard thing in our culture that you get, you have a check presentation and, uh, and it's a, a media opportunity. You take a picture, you put it out on your various websites and, uh, you know, if it's a big enough amount, then the news will be there, right? And, I, and, and so, even something as, as seemingly good as that is twisted. Because Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you give to the poor. Right? And so, Jesus is going to say, uh, don't sound a trumpet when you give alms. Don't tell anybody about it so God will see it in heaven. Right? And now you have this, this godly desire that some people have to, to do something to alleviate the, you know, the poor or some sort of charity. But then it's twisted because then it becomes all about them and their organization and they want to make sure that they get their check presentation, you know, publicity stunt or whatever. So that's, that's just like an example of how this, this, you know, even our own desires, even the seemingly good desires can be twisted without us even realizing it, without the uh, light of Christ. What do you think about horror movies? Some of you don't like them, huh? They're not, yeah, yeah. Horror movies, uh, you know, they, they're just so big though. You know, I mean, they're the ones that people are, are renting and watching, right? Uh, and yet, what do they do? They put people in situations that causes terror, that causes fear, that causes them to do horrible things, mutilate other people, right? 
This is, this is a normal part of our society, right? And it's not like a small little, you know, section over here that nobody talks about. That's mainstream, right? You go on, on Netflix, you go on um, out to the movies, that's what's there, especially this time of year, right? Because what do we have coming up soon? Halloween, right? I'm trying to explain this to my kids. You know, they come home and they, you know, they've got a, a pencil because you're not allowed to give food at school because this one's got a peanut allergy, this one's gluten-free, this one can't eat sugar, that one can't eat dairy. You know, so they bring pencils. <laughs> when somebody has a birthday, you just bring a pencil. And it has a, it has a skull on it. You know, my son, he's, he's, oh, look how cool that is, it's a skull. I'm like, son, that's a human head without the skin and the flesh. <laughs> that's just bizarre, man. You know, like, why would you put some, a human, part of the human body and then, like, take every, all the juicy parts out of it and then, now that's a thing. You know what I mean? Or the skeleton, you know, now you've got the whole body. That's a human body without all the parts that are alive. Right? And it's just the, the dead bones left. Like, what is that? Or um, witches. I was at the Home Depot and there's a witch there. And I'm like, whoa! Just trying to walk by, right? You know, and like, you know, those same people that put that witch there probably, you know, are advocates for feminism and yet at the same time they're portraying this evil character who is, you know, riding a broom. And, like, it's just, what is this? You know, and then like there's this old guy whose like skin is green and his eyes are all dark and he holds out like this plate in a creepy way and you put your candy on it, right? And I'm like, why are you making fun of like the way that old people look? You know, this is wrong. <laughs> you know, I, I don't get it. You know, it's like, it's just this bizarre thing in our society that glorifies death, you know, and, um, and terror. I don't know, but our society is so saturated with these indirect influences. I'll just mention a few more. Think about music, right? I'm not necessarily talking about the music you listen to. I'm talking about the music that is making big money, right? The pop stuff that's on the radio, the, the, the popular uh, rap music that makes it big. And, and what, what are these songs all about? When, when's the last time you heard a song, on the, uh, you know, a popular song that talked about how satisfying marriage is after 12 years? Where's that song? Right? Or how great it is to, to raise children. That song doesn't exist, right? Or extolling the virtue of working hard. I work hard every day. No, there's no song like that. There might be a country song like that. But then he'll, he'll get his dog run over and uh, his wife will leave him, you know. But, uh, you know, th these are the influences that are just piping into people's, in, into people's heads. Um, you look at TV shows. TV shows reprogram your sense of normal. Okay? And, and, and what I mean by that is, you'll be watching a comedy show, right? And, and the show is all about how somebody got a parking ticket. Right? And how they're trying to deal with it. And it's really funny. And they're trying to get out of it. And what, you, what, what the show's not about is the fact that this guy's living with his girlfriend... Right? And then over here you have two, two guys that are in a relationship with each other. It's not about that. It's about the parking ticket. Right? And, and, and it, it doesn't address all of these moral situations that it shows and portrays as normal. That affects your sense, your intuition for what normal is. 
right? And this is just the world around us. It's constantly squeezing us into a certain shape, conforming us to this age so that we would not do and be what God wants us to do and be. Um, turn to 2 Corinthians 4. I mean, what about greed? I had this, uh, I tell a story about this closet. I still have never done the closet, by the way. But uh, I have a closet in my house, and my wife said, she had this brilliant idea. She said, you know, you have this one pole on this side, you have a pole on that side. What if we put both poles on one side, and then we open up all this space over here, we could put shelves I'm like, wow, that's, that's brilliant. So I put the pole over, and then I, I'm like, all right, I've got to build shelves. And, uh, you know, I had a plan in my head. I, I was once uh, trained in engineering, so, you know, I can, I can draw a schematic. I didn't use AutoCAD, Richard, but uh, I just used a uh, pencil. It was to scale, though. And, uh, you know, I drew, I drew what I thought would be a nice, a nice set of shelves for the closet. And, uh, you know, price it out. And I'm like, oh, that's a little expensive. And, um, and then I, I saw this magazine, some like home improvement magazine, and I flipped it open and I saw the, the closet in that one. And I was like, wow, my closet was totally going to stink compared to this one. They have recessed lights, you know, and they have all these, you know, cool wood features going on, right? And they have all these other, like, hardware and, and whatnot. And suddenly I was completely dissatisfied with what would have been amazing for my ability level in the woodworking department, right? Because now, now I, I was put, this, this new design was put before me, and so I never ended up making it. But like, the, <laughs> the, point, the point is, greed. Our society is constantly trying to make you dissatisfied with what you have so that you overspend. Look, if you overspend, now you're going to be financially stressed out. Do you know what causes most divorces? Yeah, financial stress or, or other kinds of problems or, or health problems, right? Because now you're working three jobs because one or two isn't going to be enough, right? And, and, and you know, it's a, whole, it's a whole system that's always pushing us away from God. 2 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 3, it says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The, the world is set up in such a way that it makes the gospel, it blinds our eyes to the gospel, right? Now, many of you have heard the gospel, have responded to the gospel, uh, but there are lots of people who have never heard it yet, right? And... The way the culture is shaped is such that it makes the gospel hard to believe. It makes it hard to understand. Wait, so you're telling me that Jesus is coming back? That sounds crazy. Or Jesus died for my sins and somehow that makes me right with God? That sounds crazy. Why does it sound crazy? Because there are spiritual forces at work in this world to make your sense of crazy the way that it would reject the gospel. Right? That's what it says. He's the God of this age who's blinding the minds um, of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. I mean, I don't think I need to spend too much time convincing you that the world has a lot of evil in it. Right? Did you know that in the 20th century, 
there were over... Um, well, let me, let me, I have a little stat here for you. The 20th century began with the Second Boer War, the Philippine Insurrection, and the War of a Thousand Days, with a combined estimated death toll of over 150,000 people. This is battle deaths. Okay? That's how the, the 20th century began. Anybody uh, uh, remember the year 1900 in, in the room? I don't think so. Okay. So this is a long time ago, 1900, right? 115 years ago. But that's how the century began, was with wars totaling to 150,000 deaths. Okay? It ended with the Congo-Brazzaville Civil War, the Kosovo Crisis, and Ethiopia's war with Eritrea, totaling nearly 120,000 dead. So the century begins with 150,000 people dying. It ends with 120,000 people dying. In between those two... You don't find 10 or 15 or 20 or even 50 wars. You know how many wars there were between 1900 and 1999? Over 200. What? It averages out to 2.3 wars a year. That's bizarre. Come on, I mean, how, how, I mean we know what war is, right? War, war is, it should be this rare event. You know, that, you know, because it's so traumatic, right? But yet, it's super common. I mean, why is everyone killing everyone? Yeah, there is this evil afoot, and there is uh, uh, an influence on governments in this age, right? And groups of people in this age, and they commit atrocities against each other on a regular basis, right? And it's not like in the last 15 years, suddenly we've ha- had world peace, Right? I mean, even just right now, Syria's conflict is, is totaling thousands and thousands of people, right? And, and, and millions of displaced people, and we have all these refugees migrating. Why is that all happening, right? Well, you could give me the political reasons, right? But what's behind the political reasons? There are spiritual forces at work, right? And so I think that's something that we need to be, be mindful of. Uh, let's look at just two of Satan's goals, goals here. One is uh, to keep people from the gospel. That's what we read in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Um, and the other thing is to take you out. So he has two goals. If you're not a believer yet, is to make the gospel seem Ridiculous to make it unpalatable, to make it just like confusing. Or just like when you hear it, you're, you just don't get it. You're like, what? I can't, wait, explain that again? Right? That's goal, that's goal number one. Goal number two is to take out those who already believe, to eliminate their potential to threaten him and what he's doing. Right? Um, with Jesus, got it up here on the screen. Jesus tells the story about the farmer. It's called, we call it the parable of the sower and the seed. You probably, many of you have heard of this before, right? It's a farmer who goes out and he just like tosses seed and the seed goes all over the place and the different categories represent different kinds of people and how they hear the gospel message, right? And it says in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, these are the, uh, the ones that the seeds fell along the path and the birds came and gobbled them up before they could ever do anything. Right? This is the explanation of it. It says, 
when, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Did you catch that? <laughs> there are spiritual forces actively at work so that when people hear the gospel, they snatch it away just like a bird swooping down to grab a seed and then flying off again. That's how active it is. That's the spiritual warfare, right? And if you don't even understand the gospel, do you have a chance at believing it? You know, it's really hard to believe something that you don't even know what it is, right? And so, but this is, this is a reality. Um, verse 20, As for what was sown on the rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. I believe! Yes! Coming to church. Yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Right? That's category number two of how Satan works. Right? Category one is to prevent you from even getting the gospel. Category two is once you get it, to squeeze it out of you. Right? And what does it say here? It was through tribulation and persecution. Right? Your life suddenly gets hard. Suddenly, people start looking at you and saying, why are you, why are you a Christian? You know, the, the Christians are bigots. Why, why do you want to join them for? You know what I mean? And, and start, suddenly you're like, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I don't want to deal with this. Maybe I'll just go back to being a normal person. At my job, right? And it just gets squeezed out. So that's uh, another category. And then this is uh, another example Jesus gives. Verse 22, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Hmm. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. There's a lot of cares of this world, aren't there? Right? And I'm, I'm not advocating irresponsibility. You know, you've got to take care of business. I understand that. Um, you know, if you, don't, if you don't do your dishes, right, what's going to happen? It's going to pile up, and then eventually you're going to be trying to eat food, and then you're going to go to the cabinet, and what's going to be there? No dishes, right? I'm not trying to tell you not to do your dishes, but what I'm saying is there are cares of this world that can take you out. That's what, the, that's what happened here. Jesus uses the metaphor of thorns that choke out the, the message, right? And so, you've got to be careful about what cares of this world you involve yourself in and which ones are just too much for you because they're going to choke you out, right? And then the other thing was the deceitfulness of riches. You've got to have money, right? You've got you to have money to take care of life, right? But there's a deceitfulness that says... I need, I need to have more and more and more, and it ends up into this crazy cycle where you lose everything, but you get rich. Right? And, whoa! Or you knock over your glass. I'm okay. <laughs> these, these wires are waterproof, I think. Now, if I get electrocuted while preaching... Spiritual warfare, right? <laughs> Thanks, Tim. 
uh, you, you know something's going on, right? It's even worse than a microphone m- malfunction. Okay. What was I supposed to say next? Get thee behind me, Satan. I, want, I, I realize what I said is a little heavy. Okay, I realize that. Uh, but there is this fourth category here, right, where it says, as for, uh, verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. That's the kind of person we want to be. That's the soil that represents uh, the good soil, as opposed to the rocky soil or the thorny one or whatever. We want to be this category here. And, and we're going to get into that tomorrow, or, yeah, tomorrow morning, looking at how we can win the spiritual war. Okay? I'm, going to give you, I'm going to give you a hint. It has something to do with connecting to Jesus' authority over the whole situation that God has given him, and prayer. Right? But I don't want to, to step on anybody else's toes who might be preaching tomorrow. All right? But I do want to say this. There is, there is a heavy sense of spiritual wickedness in our world that I think many of us can easily see without having to do much investigating. Right? If you do investigating, it gets even worse. Just look into the porn industry. I mean, it will blow your mind how big it is. It's bigger than the NFL. The NBA and the MLB combined. Right? You can look into other things that are in, you know, in the dark places of this world and you can see the spiritual wickedness. Right? I mean, it's all around us. But I don't want you to get a mindset that there's a demon in every closet either. Okay? And, and go the other way with it. If you wake up if you wake up and you put in a Keurig cup into your fancy coffee maker and there's just not enough water in it for it to make your coffee within 30 seconds, that's not a demon necessarily. <laughs> you know? I mean, if you get into your car and one of the tires is flat, you might have just hit a nail or something. You know what I mean? If you forget to pay a bill and then you get hit with a late fee, that's not necessarily spiritual persecution. Right? Um, if you try to put in a new bathtub and discover that carpenter ants are eating the framing of your house, just happened to me. That's not necessarily a spiritual situation either. Okay? You know why? Because we all get sick. Pagans get sick. Atheists get flat tires. Right? That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that every time anything hard happens to you in life, it's spiritual warfare. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that spiritual warfare is a real thing and it is affecting our culture and different people throughout our, our, the world on a regular basis. And so Chuck tried to sell his soul to the devil, but he could, the devil couldn't afford it. I don't know why I love Chuck Norris jokes, but... They're just so funny. <laughs> However, if you are on the front lines of preaching the gospel to the, to the lost, if you're on the front lines of praying for missionaries, of praying for holiness in your own life, of, of um, doing things for other people as a testimony of our God, right? You might be under a spiritual attack. 
Okay? If you're just watching TV and the internet isn't working well, join the club. Right? But if you're trying to preach to somebody, right, and suddenly all the electricity goes out, you know, that could be something, right? So um, that's, that's what I'm trying to say. Don't find a demon in every closet. It is serious. Now, I want to, I with my remaining time, I want to look at some specific examples with you. I want to look at the example of when you face a temptation, when you face failure, when you face unforgiveness, uh, when you get inattentive or start slacking off, just getting a little sleepy, uh, adultery, false teaching, and anger. Each of these is a sermon, right? But I'm just going to do them all right now. So, there it is. There it is. You can write, you can write them down if you want or not. Um, but these are specific examples, right? As opposed to uh, getting up and the coffee machine doesn't work, right? These are things that the Bible specifically says it's spiritual warfare. All right? So the first one here is uh, facing a temptation. And this is when uh, Jesus told his disciples he's going to die. He's going to suffer and die and be raised on the third day. Peter says to him, he, pulls him as- he says to Jesus, this is never going to happen to you. He pulls him aside and Peter rebukes him. Right? And then Jesus says, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What, what motivated Peter to say, This will never happen to you, Jesus? Yeah, he loved him. He cared about him. And it didn't make sense based on what he thought Jesus' mission was. Right? And, and so, it's not like Peter was, you know, You'll never get there. You know, and doing like this creepy devil voice, right? He was like, no, Jesus is never going to happen to you. But Jesus saw in that moment, in that objection, in that rebuke, he saw something, uh, just the smallest little hook, that if he gave it an inch, it could be devastating. And he shut it down. He shut it down. He said, no, get behind me, Satan. I don't want to have anything to do with this. This is the plan. I don't want to do it either. We know in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, right? If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He didn't, who wants to suffer and, and die on a cross, right? He didn't want to do it, but it was the plan. He knew he had to do it. And if he let even the smallest little sliver of doubt in there, you know how that can be. It could blow the whole thing apart. Here's another example of failure. The same Peter, also called Simon. Simon, Simon. Oh, this is right after Jesus... This is right after Jesus said to him, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, even if all of them deny you, I will never. Right? He's like, I don't care about these other 11 cronies. I'm the rock. You can stand here, Jesus. I got your back. That's what, that's what Peter says, right? And when it comes down to it, he goes braveheart on him, right? He's got a whole crew of soldiers. He's just like, pulls it out. Ah! Right? And then Jesus fixes the guy whose ear he cut off. Right? We're not going to get into that. But, so anyhow, but then after that, he freaked out, didn't he? He freaked out. So anyhow, Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, and that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Listen, think about the difference between Judas and Peter. Judas turned to men. 
We don't know Judas's motives. The Bible never tells us. It's not, it's not exactly clear. But whatever Judas did there, he felt really bad afterwards. How do we know that? He killed himself, right? Peter, what he did was pretty bad too, right? I mean, he's there in the courtyard with Jesus. Jesus is getting beaten, ridiculed. And somebody comes up to Peter and says, aren't you with him? And Peter says, I don't know the man, right? And then he gets to the point of cursing, calling curses down and swearing, I swear I don't know him, right? That's, Jesus said, if you, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. Peter denied him before men. Right? That's bad. That's a failure. That's a failure. Judas, that's a failure. Right? Judas and Peter both failed. What's the difference? Judas didn't repent. He let it, he let it, he let it destroy him. Right? Peter said, yeah, I screwed up. I'm a screw up, but I want to. I want to keep going. You know what I mean? I messed up. It was bad, but I want to keep going. And Jesus worked with him. He said, "Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, right?" And Jesus works with Peter, and Peter's okay. He turned out to be the first pope. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, but. My point is, you can't let failure take you out. Right? You want to be a Judas or you want to be a Peter? Alright, these people want to be Peter. You guys, I don't know. The next one... Oh, you do have, you already have Peter, so there you go. The next one is unforgiveness. Now again, these are specific examples where the Scripture says it's spiritual. Okay? It says here in 2 Corinthians 2, 10-11... Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. Something as simple as unforgiveness is a way that Satan can outwit you. What does Jesus say about forgiveness? Or else what? If you don't forgive others, what? Yeah. He says, right after the Lord's Prayer, which includes forgiveness, right? He says, you forgive others or else your Father won't forgive you. Right? I mean, that's, if, there's, if there's an absolute statement that Jesus makes about something that, that we have to live, there it is. Right? He tells us to do it, and then He says, if you don't do it, this is what's going to happen. Right? So unforgiveness for the Christ follower, is not optional. It's absolutely required. And if you let it fester and boil and grow and manifest, that's the way that Satan can take you out. Look at the next one. Inattention. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Who's he going to go after? He's going to go after the person that's not sober-minded and the person that's not watchful, the inattentive person. The person who's just like, la-di-da-di-da, life is so good, right? It's just, everything is easy, and there's no spiritual battle, and everything's a joke, and aren't we having so much fun, right? That's the one the devil's going to go. He's not going to go after the person who's on their knees, praying before God, protection over their family. 
If you're a lion, you got somebody over there wearing armor, and then you've got a nice, juicy, you know, soft creature with no armor. Which one are you going to go after? Yeah, you're going to go after the nice, soft meat, right? Don't be soft meat. Let's be attentive, <laughs> sober-minded, watchful. All right, adultery. This one, this one I thought was interesting. I never had thought about it like this before, but uh, it says here, do not deprive one another. This is the part uh, for married people in 1 Corinthians 7 where uh, Paul says in uh, a way that would not have surprised anyone, he says to the woman, to the wife, your body is not your own, it's your husband's. Everyone would have accepted that in the, in the first century. But then he says something very shocking. He says to the woman, your husband's body is not his own, it belongs to you. That would have blown them away with uh, their, their chauvinist society. But anyhow, so he's talking about marriage, right? And how a husband and a wife should come together in marriage. And he says to, he says to them, to the married couples, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Adultery is rampant in our society today. The, st the statistics are really staggering. You have to look it up. Uh, the one place I saw is like one in three cheats on their spouse. Something, something just like bizarre, right? And so this is, this is one way that you can fight against that battle. And we can have a marriage conference if you don't know what I'm talking about some other time. All right, false teaching. False teaching. Here's another big one. But I am afraid, this is 2 Corinthians 11, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Who deceived Eve right here? It says a serpent, right? Serpent is Satan, right? So this, we're talking about Satan. He's like, look, as Satan deceived Eve by his cunning, by his trickery, your thoughts will be led away. Right? So he's talking about spiritual warfare from pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel, that's a different Jesus, different spirit, different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. You just go right that way. Oh, I am the second coming of Jesus, said this preacher in Florida. You just need to get a 666 tattoo on your neck. And you'll be part... I'm, I'm not making this up. Serious. And his father's like, It's Jesus! I got the tattoo! And it's like... Deception. Right? Oh, oh yeah, I'll just go with that. That sounds good. Right? You can't, you can't let that happen. You need to read the book. If, if you don't read the book... How are you going to know if the, if the, if the, if the teacher is, is, is on target or not on target? Right? How do you know I didn't just make all this up? Right? You've got to read the book. And if you read the book, then you know what's true and what's false teaching. For such men are false apostles. And this was already happening in Paul's time. Such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. These people that took over the church in Corinth, these super apostles, they looked good. They sounded good. They appeared as servants of righteousness, and they were working for the devil. 
All right, last one. Anger. Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Look, if you go to bed angry without dealing with the situation, without coming to terms with what's going on, you're giving an opportunity to the devil. Right? So you deal with it, whatever you've got to do, whether you work it out with God, whether you need to make a phone call, whatever you need to do to deal with that anger so that you don't go to bed, it says don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's okay to be angry, but, you don't, need, but don't sin. Right? It says be angry, but do not sin. And so these are just some different things to be on the watch for in your own life so that when we see the spiritual temptation coming our way, whether it's direct influence, indirect influence, through some crazy TV show, and you're like watching, you're like, this is bad, right? And you start to see that, you know, this is putting bad thoughts in my head. Or whether it's these specific examples I see, when you see it, what are you going to do? You've got to shut it down, all right? You're going to shut it down. So we're going to look at how to shut it down tomorrow, but my point here is seeing it for what it really is and then responding quickly to it. That's the key to waging spiritual warfare. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would guide us and direct us. We recognize that we are not able to do this on our own. We glory in the authority that you have given to Jesus, that you have set him at your right hand, far above all principalities and powers might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. You have made him the head over the body of Christ. Father, please help us to live in such a way that brings honor to you. Help us to take seriously the spiritual battle and not just be rocked back and forth to sleep or deceived into thinking that we we know what we're doing when we don't. We really need your help. So please lead us and guide us and deliver us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. If you enjoyed what you heard here, why not give Restitutio a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher? Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and check us out online at restitutio.org, where you can find an archive of all the podcasts, as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.